0: a life of adventure is gay and free, and danger has its charm. And no pig of spirit will bounce his life by the fence of his master's farm. Yet there's no toothpick but he hits a us at the pleasant thought of the old Good evening, everybody. Actually, if it's How again. do you
1: know it's the evening when they're listening to this? Yeah.
2: that's very presumptuous of you.
0: If I I know things about the listener that you don't, don't take it out on me. Hello, everybody. My name is Josiah Willits, and I'm doing this podcast. Who else is doing this podcast?
2: I guess I am. I'm Michael Lilienthal. I'm Ethan Bartlett, and I have a question for Josiah. Um, Did you think about like telling what the podcast was or did you consciously choose to just sort of That's a
0: great that? idea Ethan. Ethan, you this is why we keep you around. So,
2: <laughs> the one and only reason.
0: Our, this is this is our fourth installment of the Freddy the Pig series. We are talking about books that um, Walter Brooks wrote about Freddy the Pig as well as many other animals. Today we are looking at Freginald, the story of Freginald and um
2: yeah <laughs> which is the actual name of the book it's just Freginald, colon the, the story, story of
0: <laughs> get off my back my goodness
2: <laughs> listen you take on certain responsibilities when you choose to intro the podcast and those responsibilities are getting made fun of by everyone else on the podcast it's absolutely yeah. true
1: it's uh, it's it's in the job description
0: Yep. All right. Well, we'll I, I think I've gone through enough childhood. of that. Ethan, talk about your childhood. Go.
2: <laughs> um, so weirdly enough, I don't have anything to say in this segment um uh-huh. because I I never read this book as a child. Um I guarantee that I never I was like looking for literally anything that, you know, I connected with or whatever. Like I never read this book as a child. And that's because as a child, either wikipedia didn't exist um please don't like fact check me on that because i don't know if the chronology lines up or it's it's wikipedia's
1: likely, 20th birthday
2: uh so technically when i was a child wikipedia didn't exist there you go um because i am 31 years old almost 32 uh-huh. so there were 12 years of my life before we had the horror that is wikipedia inflicted <laughs> upon it. um
0: okay did you say horror Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, good.
2: Uh, I am from the Midwest, so I do sort of elide that word in a way that is potentially troubling. But I did say horror, yes. Okay, good. Anyway, whether that's when I was reading Freddy the Pig or not, I would not like anyone to examine too closely. Um, But the point is, I did not, like, have a care so much about, like, the chronological order of a series that I was reading at the age of... 10, 11, 12, 13, um, I more just like looked in the library catalog for the specific library system I was in, and picked out titles in the series that interested me. Uh-huh. Uh, so, I probably skipped straight to Freddie and the Man from Men from Mars, mm-hmm. um, or Freddie and the Baseball Team from Mars, or Freddie and Simon the Dictator, all of which were much more to my interest than some bear with a made-up name. Um... <laughs> I I would like to take this space then, uh, sort of like a politician who has been asked a question about something completely irrelevant to the thing that I would like to say, um, to just mention how difficult this book is to find. Like mm-hmm. I feel like that's uh, a, nice, a a decent thing to put on the front end of this podcast. Um, if the listener has been like sort of reading along with us. So far, the first three books in the series, I feel like, are relatively easy to find in reprints. Yeah. I had a heck of a time finding an affordable copy of this book. I went so far as to go to the website of, and I forget their names now, and if I were a good podcaster, I would have had it, like, prepped, knowing I wanted to say this, um... But, like, the the publisher that did the reprints of the Freddy series in, I think, the 90s and early 2000s um, to, like, try to see if I could, like, special order a copy, and that doesn't seem to be a thing. So, um, options to get hold of this are through specialty booksellers on the internet, Mm -hmm. Um, and since Michael and I have bought two of the cheapest copies available, uh, you're looking at Decent sums for that, uh, or
0: or you could do the terrible thing that I do and just get the ebook.
2: Now right. I will say I am about fifteen years past the point in my life where ebook and terrible thing are like inherently synonyms, right? Um, so no, that's I was going to mention that option. Otherwise, you can do what I did and get this through your local library system, and then consider whether it's ethical to keep it so long that the library charges you a replacement fee for it and then just consider that you bought it from the library system um, I'm Probably not going to for
0: considerably it. less than you would buy it elsewhere
2: well that's that's exactly it because it's a collectible <laughs> book and I'm not going to do that for like reasons having to do with the other things I just said um, I don't know I think I bought a used copy for about twenty five dollars recently so that's that's what you're looking at if you do want like a, to own a physical copy of this book um, but I say all of this because I love this book so much and you should whether electronically or physically own a copy of it like this is out of the reread of this series this has been my favorite volume so far um, <laughs> and I won't say like more about that until we get into some of the the meat of the thing but like, uh, yeah. Uh, anyway, that's been Ethan's nostalgia corner, which had no nostalgia but a lot of corner.
0: <laughs> Excellent. Good deal. Well, Michael, I suppose you better give us some history, and please give us history. Sure. And not more corner. Uh
1: no, nope. I'm I'm a good podcaster,
2: and I uh, I well, did some research.
1: Oh. Also, oh. speaking to your bad podcaster comment, is it Overlook Press that you're thinking of?
2: I think so. Yes, that okay. sounds right.
1: That's at least the edition that I've got is from them, and that was 2003, I think, is the reprint. That's not what we're talking yeah, okay. about. So, um, well,
2: I will say <laughs> Overlook Press, since you clearly are listening. Like, print more new copies of this book, please.
1: Yes, please. Yes, please. Okay, so the yes, this is the fourth book in the Freddy the Pig series. Uh, and at first glance, it has nothing to do with Freddy Except that there's a pig on the cover alongside this titular bear uh, It's called The Story of Reginald, as we've said uh, And it was published in 1936 In 1952, it was retitled as Freddy and Freginald. That's unifying it in the Freddy the Pig series um, However, the copy that I have, which is a reprint from 2003 Is still called The Story of Reginald So you can still find it both yeah. ways, potentially um, I do want to talk a little bit about 1952, the retitling date before the, uh, previous publication date, 1936 first. Um, if you look in the dedication page of the book, it's dedicated to A.S.B. A.S.B. is Anne Shepard Brooks, Walter Brooks's first wife, whom he married in 1909, and they were married until her death in 1952, um... And I haven't found whether the dedication was in the first edition or later But it appears that 1952 is probably just a coincidence Um, But I'm sure it will come up again So keep that in mind, 1952 is when his wife died Uh, It'll probably come up later in the history stuff But this uh, retitling came uh, also in the same year as the publication of the 19th book in the series, Freddy the Pilot Uh, So we'll talk about that when that comes up too uh, but 1936 itself So Charlie Chaplin's Modern Times Debuted in 1936 um, mm-hmm. Adolf Hitler introduced the Volkswagen In 1936 And the Hindenburg crashed in 1936 um, Hitler himself had come to power Since the publication of the last book Freddy the Detective came out in 1932 Hitler rose to power in 1933 But that doesn't seem to have Any bearing on this novel itself We'll see if it makes a difference Later on But um, year prior, 1935, Amelia Earhart flew nonstop from Honolulu to Oakland, California, and FDR's National Recovery Act was proclaimed unconstitutional. Um, more specific to the book, in the 1930s, the Golden Age of the Circus had already passed. Um, it's estimated by experts that the Golden Age of the Circus lasted circa 1870 to 1920. Um... Possibly the Great Depression had a hand in the downfall of the circus um, Because it was a form of entertainment that required a great deal of um, well, Care for the animals and transportation and an uncertain revenue um, Also, radio had come on the scene in 1920 uh, So people weren't going out to the circus as much You might compare Netflix binging to movie theaters If you want to make that comparison um, But that's why 1920 is the, the cutoff date for the Golden Age It's the radio um, that uh, killed the circus. Radio killed the circus star. Um, but it's These also <laughs> darn
2: millennials and all their radio <laughs>
1: that's
2: right. The circus,
1: that's right. <laughs>
2: millennials have killed the circus industry.
1: Exactly. Um, but it's also possibly because of the decline of the circus that there was a sort of nostalgia blooming for the great old circuses. At this time in the late 30s and early 40s Because Walt Disney's Dumbo was released just five years after this book uh, As a rule now, uh, circuses traveled by rail But Boom Schmidt and his rivals seem to have disposed of that tradition um, Perhaps Brooks uh, saw a possible wisdom in a, a more freeform travel for the business? I don't know. Uh, But what was historically true was that the circuses of the 1930s used animals as an integral part of their performances and parts of the circus when it was at rest looked like a traveling zoo where people could meet and gawk at and converse with uh, the animals. Um, Other historical tidbits that relate to this book might include the fact that A.A. Milne's immensely popular Winnie the Pooh was published just ten years prior to this book. Um, and Mill himself had stopped writing children's books by this time. Um, it had been almost a decade since he had written a children's book, uh, and he had been rather disgusted by his popularity uh, and how the Winnie the Pooh series was affecting his family and his son and uh, all those sorts of things. Um, but one uh, might believe there was a certain hunger for friendly talking bears on the children's literature mm-hmm. scene uh, ten years after Winnie the Pooh. Um, and that might have some bearing on the fact that this, we'll talk about it, this is the first book in the series which demonstrates that humans and animals can speak to one another in this world. Um, I don't know if it's directly related, but it, uh, um, it's an interesting point. So I'll leave it at that as far as the history except to say that the president of this year was, of course, Franklin Delano Roosevelt.
2: Uh, may I add one thing to the history? Please do. Um, and this is like an entertainment history thing, oh. as opposed to like a, a whatever, history, history. Um, there's a, a movie that's to some extent still famous, um, certainly more famous in uh, previous generations than it is now, but uh, it, a movie called Todd Browning's Freaks. Um, hmm. And Freaks is the name of the movie, and Todd Browning is the the he gives a bit of an O tour. Uh, created this movie, um, Freaks came out in 1932, and hmm. it was a uh, it was a movie by or not by, but it was a movie about and starring circus freaks, um, which is not considered uh, probably you know, probably considered a pretty rude term now, but was the common term at the yeah. time. Um And probably was the other, like, if there's a stool that, that circuses stood on, like, trained animals would be one leg of it, and what were called circus freaks would be another leg. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is, you know, you think of, like, the bearded lady. Uh, in this movie, there's um, little people... There uh, is, uh, a man who's known as the human worm, who's a man born without arms or legs. Um, and there's, a uh, uh, several, you know, you get the idea, um, just a bunch of different humans who were born with what are considered, uh, deformities or unusual sort of, um, anatomical, uh, or or Conditions Um, And It's an interesting movie in that The main characters of this movie Are all of these people Um, The only two like uh, Humans Who have like you know Five to six foot heights And like normal frames And all of their limbs and so forth Are the like Antagonists of this film Um and it's a it's possibly a connection that I was, you know, only making in my mind, but uh the the in that film the, the the circus freaks all come together to sort of oust these these antagonists. Um so it's like the 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 people that you'd think would be the least powerful and the least likely to have agency that come together and sort of sort of stand up for themselves and in the climax of this book, I was seeing a lot of that movie. Um, again, I don't know if it's if it's correlation or causation, um, but I think it's interesting that this, this uh, circus movie came out four years beforehand and had yeah. somewhat similar themes to uh, uh, Freginald. Um, if nothing else, I would guess it points to, like, uh, like you just said, Michael, a fascination with circuses and... Um, mm-hmm. The the uh, people, or in Freginal's case, like you could say the beings that uh, inhabit circuses.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Michael, yeah. one more time. Year that the book was published was it 1936? You said. Yep. 1936. Um, I would also like to add historical tidbit. Yeah. Um, Wizard of Oz comes uh-huh. out in 1939. Yes. Um, and I have a I have a particular, I have two particular reasons why I just bring that to the forefront, but we'll get into that when we talk about the plot. Sure. Are we ready to talk about plot? Yes.
2: yes.
0: Fantastic. And the road and long A treadmill where no peace is <laughs> found If one follows it and however they wander, both pigs and men Are always glad to get home again Alright, so, as far as plot goes I actually found this one to be the easiest one to talk about the plot so far
2: Sure Question um, yeah, is it because we refought the civil war for the middle port middle like 50% of the novel?
0: <laughs> That's part of it. There there were enough big events that took up a long enough period of time that we were still doing the same thing for a few chapters. The yeah. civil war was one of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. Excellent. So, but let's start at the beginning since it's a very good place to start. Chapter 1, or as I like to call it, imagine if you had the Johnny Cass song A Boy Named Sue, yes! but instead of manning up, he just, you know, wrote poetry and joined the circus. <laughs> so, so you have uh, this you have this I think bear. we done
2: chapter one now.
0: Yeah, yeah, we're done with chapter one.
2: <laughs> done. Um,
0: done. So you have this bear and his parents don't know what to name him, and they're arguing between each other. One wants to name him Fred, the other one wants to name him Reginald. And they can't make up their minds, so they go to the grandfather bear, who's the wisest of the bears, apparently. Great-grandfather bear, right? Is it great-grandfather bear? Is it grandfather or great-grandfather? I'm seeing grandfather,
1: uh, but I, I can't find yeah, the... no, it. No, is, it is. It's gra- It's the little bear's great-grandfather. So okay. it's his parents' it's grandfather. grandfather yep.
0: There we go. Okay. Um, and he kind of absentmindedly just names the bear Louise. <laughs> yep. Because... Apparently it didn't even cross his mind that the bear was even male. He just named the bear Louise and they're like, um, but he's a boy bear and his grandfather's like, Well you should have told me
1: <laughs> <laughs> Too late now.
0: Yeah. Yep. Um, but hey, can I just say it, it,
1: it came, the the way the book yeah. begins is magnificent because you've got you're holding it this is. book in your hands called The Story of Freginald, right? So you're expecting, all right, where's Freginald? And it's the first sentence, there was once a bear named Louise. (laughs) Hard left turn right there. Like, first sentence. Yeah, Uh,
0: it was really jarring when you start the book like that, and absolutely, (laughs) it's a wonderful start. But in any case, as you can imagine, a bear named Louise, that's a boy, is kind of not able to get along well with his peers because they keep on making fun of him. And so he becomes very introspective. He gets very much into writing poetry and he's good at writing poetry. And one day he runs into this lion named Leo and Leo's like, Hey, I'm a part of a circus. What's your deal? And he's like, I'm a bear named Louise. (laughs) And Leo, not making fun of him, says, That's awesome. You're a bear named Louise. You gotta come and meet my you gotta come and meet Boom Schmidt, the cir- the guy who runs the circus. And so he takes him back to Boom Schmidt and Boomschmidt's like, You're a bear named Louise? That's awesome. And Louise is like, Yeah, and I write poetry too. And he's like, What? You gotta enjoy the circus And he's like, Well, I mean I guess I have to ask my parents' permission, and he's like, Oh, yeah, go and get your parents' permission and consent first, of course.
1: Of course. <laughs> this I, is a book for kids, I, after all.
0: <laughs> I, love, I love that line in particular. I mean, when in fact, Louise, I don't think, even is the one that brings it up. I think it's Boomschmidt that brings it up. It's in this paragraph. But let's get to business, said the showman, taking his hat, which one of the snakes had picked up and handed to him. Go get your parents' consent first, Of course. And, and you know, just the, well, go and get your parents' permission, and then, yeah, join the circus. Oh, no, he,
1: do, he does bring it up the, a page earlier. Um, it's page 19, my edition. Uh, he says, of course, I'd have to speak to my parents, but do you really think I'd help the show, sir? And then he goes on. Yeah,
0: there we go. So. Okay, so he does bring it up, but yeah. So it's very much the, yeah, it's totally okay. I mean, your parents would definitely be understanding that you'll... Be able to join the circus. And I mean, they are, of course. The first line in chapter two is Louise's parents had no objection to his going out to see the world under the (laughs) guidance of such a large, handsome, and responsible looking lion. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, Great. But in any case, he joins the show and everything is going fine with that. He enjoys seeing the country a little bit and enjoys being a little bit of a celebrity within the show and getting along with everybody. He meets a number of people within the show, including um, Madame Delphine, who is the fortune teller. And Mm -hmm. she tells him this slightly ominous fortune that there's going to be a man with a big black handlebar mustache in his future Mm -hmm. that's going to pose problems. And so you have that bit of foreshadowing. Um, She tells him some other things that are a little bit more vague, but that one's kind of the big one that sticks out. Also in Chapter 2, we meet Louise, <laughs> the other Louise. <laughs> yes. um, it turns out that there is already a Louise in the circus, Louise the Elephant. She's um, she's not very happy about having another person named Louise. And, in fact, Louise the bear is also not happy about this situation of people calling out the name Louise and both of them coming to rush and see what's going on. And everybody thinks they're the best of friends because they show up all over the place. Because whenever says somebody says Louise, they both come running, and they come to really not like each other at all. In fact, kind of kind of skipping order a little bit and going to one-liners. Um, I love this back and forth that they have in this chapter. Mm-hmm. Um, And it talks about how Louise the Elephant always lisps. And it says, she always lisped a little when she was angry, and the little bear mimicked her. Oh, you just won't stand it, though, now. Well, suppose you think of something else, then. I don't like it any better than you do, having people think I like to play with you. You stuck with something, you. (laughs) Yeah. Or you suck up sissy, you. Yeah, that's what it says. Mm -hmm. It's hard to read and lisp. It is. But in any case, in their back and forth of conversation, um, she starts sobbing a little bit, and her sobs sunk to sniffles, and she opened her eyes, which she had shut in order to cry better. Listen, said the bear. Oh, loveliest of all Louises, say why the sight of me displeases. Oh, could you never learn to care for this adoring, humble bear? When you perform, as is your duty in all your elephantine duty, your tricks before the audience, my adoration is immense. And when you dance in airy grace, I gaze enraptured on your face. Nothing about you but in tears, your eyes, your lovely floppy ears, your graceful trunk, don't be a tease. Oh, tell me, beautiful Louise, and give me quick your answer, please. Oh, said the elephant when he had finished do you really mean that no said the bear of course i don't you don't like me and i don't like you and, and, and it's just like it's just a wonderful little like it's like oh my goodness is he trying to turn a good leaf and try to you know build a friendship here and it's like no <laughs> It was just a wonderful moment. But wonderful. in any case, they decide that we need to f- solve this issue. And at one point, Bushman's like, well, have you ever wanted a different name? And Louise is just like, well, my parents once were arguing over my name, whether I should be Fred or Reginald. And mm-hmm. they're like, well, why don't you just combine the two and be named Freginald? And so that's what they go with. Mm-hmm. And so now he's Freginald and not Louise anymore. And in fact, you start out chapter three with the sentence, Freginald, as we will now call him now, since he likes that name so much better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. And from there on out, you call him Freginald. We get to chapter three, in which we meet Eustace, the diving mouse. Mm-hmm. Eustace is kind of picking on Louise a little bit, and Freginald actually comes to her rescue, and they're building a little bit of a friendship with her, which yes. is nice that you see that friendship, friendship coming forth. Um, But you meet Eustace, who is picking on her a little bit, and they find out that he's quite a talented mouse. He can dive and do different diving tricks. And so he joins up with the circus. Um, you um, You have this idea of animals with talents. And in the next chapter, we meet another animal with a big talent. We meet this head of the sheep, head of... The sheep that is able to roar like a lion yes. which leo doesn't appreciate very much but boom schmidt has turned on to this idea of what if we recruited animals from the country and we made this a purposeful business strategy that mm-hmm. we go out and we find talent to bring into our show and so he has freginald and leo going out to find talent which and in chapter five
1: Can I can what? I say at that point, like when we meet Eustace, first of all, I'm waiting to hear that this mouse that's scaring Louise is Enie or Eek, you know, <laughs> one of the mice we know. But no, no, it's not. Okay. And then, no, oh, don't oh, so here we're going to, we're, these, these are the, the animals that, uh, that are, that we know from the, the Freddy the pig story. Oh, no, this isn't them. Oh, okay. Oh, wait, they're going no. out to meet them. Now we're going to find them and they're going to see, you know, a pig who's a detective and try to get him in the circus, right? You know?
2: I was ready for that the whole time. The only right? thing I wasn't ready for was for that to not happen until the last. of the novel. Yeah, it's
0: so true. I mean, you're waiting for the connection to come forth, and it just doesn't.
2: This is Um, the Captain America of the Freddy the Pig-verse.
0: You know, I I was thinking to myself that this is the horse and his boy of the Freddy-verse. That's actually kind of what I was thinking. Because you're reading this book, and it's just like, where is everyone? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But in any case, so... Freddie and Leo are going out into the countryside looking for animals with talent. They come across this farm and they get captured by all these wild animals on this farm. And it's this weird situation. There are no people around and mm-hmm. it's this rundown old farm. And they find out after a little bit that these animals are actually part of the Confederacy. <laughs> <laughs> The
2: the rooster comes to
0: that Can we stop for a second and can you
2: just say the same thing you just said again so everyone gets it
0: (laughs) We find out that these farm animals are part of the confederacy as in like the Civil War confederacy states of America (laughs) The confederate states of America There we go Uh And, And I love how this comes about The so they're captured and everything, and then this rooster shows up and says, "Now, gentlemen, here is the situation. To make it more, cl- or to make it quite clear, I must go back a few years, seventy odd, to be exact. At that time, it was a prosperous plantation owned by Colonel Jefferson Bird Yancey. Then war." Or then war broke out between the North and the South. Colonel Yancey marched off at the head of his regiment. He He was gone a year, two years. Nothing was heard from him. His slaves drifted away. Finally, only the farm animals were left. Well, they had all been been fond of Colonel Yancey. They carried on as best they could. After a while, they heard rumors that Colonel Yancey had been killed in battle. Later, there were other rumors that peace had been made, that the South had been defeated. Meanwhile, most of the neighbors had moved away. Trees and brush grew up about the neglected plantation, whose very existence was forgotten. But the animals were pleased to be cut off from the world. They hated the Yankees who had brought ruin to their master and his friends. And at last, at a historic meeting which took place in this very barn, they formally swore undying allegiance to the Confederacy and agreed to defend this plantation, the last unconquered territory of the CSA, even from the armed forces of the federal government. And I've never... I i mean, maybe in a history book I've seen the abbreviation CSA, but I mean, just yes. reading over that... Abbreviation is just being like States That's so weird. <laughs>
2: <And> <laughs> especially like, and this is the thing I wanted to emphasize in a children's book. Yes, like uh, in the, in the passage that you just quoted, Josiah. Like, I I had been giving my wife, which I do with all of the Freddy books, I had been giving my wife updates on the most metal parts of this <laughs> book. And I marched out to her, and I specifically, like, I summarized most of that message, and then I specifically read the sentence, his slaves drifted away, yes. because I think that's a key one to emphasize how committed Walter R. Brooks gets to this, like, storyline or subplot or whatever you want to call it. Um, I think a well, lot of children's books, both at the time and now, might use confederates as like a bad guy but they i have a hard time envisioning very many books written for children for like you know people under the age of say 16 that would acknowledge the historical reality of that and like Mm -hmm. bring it into their talking animal book
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah and and I mean, it's spoken so you know matter of fact, plainly. Yeah, matter it's of not, factly. Yeah. Ma- yeah, it's matter of factly. It's not like it's Which is, trying to it's, be a joke or anything. But that's yeah. exactly Just, Brooks's yeah.
1: style. He's matter of fact about everything, right? And so, mm-hmm. but like th- this points what what you're saying, Ethan, is exactly right. That this points to the greatness of that writing because he says things with purpose. Yeah, and it. It doesn't hide, thing. I, you know, we can joke about this being kids' books and, you know, the fact that uh, Louise had to go get uh, his parents' consent before he could go run away with the circus. And, like, that's a very, right. okay, we're going to make sure these kids are safe. But also, these kids are being not hidden from the history. Uh, yes. it's, mm-hmm. it's being shown to them in all of its right. ugliness.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah.
0: Well, and I was I was struck by, you know, as Leo and Freginald are trying to parlay their release and everything, and they demand that in order for them to be released from prison, the Confederates are demanding that they have to swear allegiance to the Confederacy. Mm-hmm. And, and, um, let's see, let's see, um... Looking on, looking on this page in particular, Leo says, I don't call that much of a choice. Either they are imprisoned um, forever, basically, or mm-hmm. they must swear allegiance to the Confederates and join them. Mm-hmm. And, and Leo says, I don't call that much of a choice. See here, I'm not a northerner. I came from Africa. I came from You've, Africa. You have, no, you have no reason to mind, or you have no reason to pick on me. Indeed, yeah. said the rooster, our slaves were from Africa, you know. Uh, yeah. I shall have to speak to the captain about that. And I was like, "Whoa, right? Wow, yeah. How, Way to bring like that element in right? to a children's book. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. But I mean,
1: like, it's also something that's kind of because Leo is a hero in this book, right? I mean, he's got his flaws, yeah. but he's also. You know, in true lion fashion, he's very manly and um, heroic, and uh, and all these things. But then to to unite him with those who were the slaves, um, mm-hmm. kind of. I, I don't know, it, it, it emphasizes something for the, this history, too, that, like... Well, and again, in a book where, where the, the animals are talking to people as well, I think that just adds more significance to the fact that this is the first one where the animal animals and humans are talking back and forth. That here's yeah. this lion who's identified with the former slaves now as just, you know, being someone who came from Africa and is now facing the Confederates. Um that uh this is this is a real historical reality and he's humanized in that way (laughs) um because he can talk to to people and such and and then um just making that his it it, without saying it explicitly it makes that history atrocious (laughs) yeah yeah and Um, the kids are gonna understand that
0: So I've been wondering when to bring this up, and I figure why not bring it up now since you mentioned the talking to people thing and that this is the book yeah. where, that, where that division breaks down entirely. As I'm reading from the beginning of the book, and that's kind of been one of the big things with each of these books so far with me, that to what extent can animals communicate with human beings? Mm-hmm. Right. And we get a new we get a new thing within that column of characteristics with each book. And mm-hmm. it gets closer and closer to having, you know, straight on comp- or straight on communication. And with this book, as I'm reading through, then it's like he's talking to Boom Schmidt right away. And mm-hmm. I, And at first I'm like, okay, so is it like a circus animal thing? That like people that work in circuses are able to talk to animals too? Or something mm. like that? Or, or is it just a matter that you know circus animals are more um, around people, and they eventually learn how to communicate? And so I'm asking myself these different questions. And as we go along further and further in the book, then eventually the answer for all of those is like no. No, animals can just talk to people now, I guess. Yep. <laughs> no, nope, they can definitely just talk to people now. Right. And eventually, when we get toward the end of the book and you even meet the animals on Mr. Bean's farm, it's like, no, they can talk to people too. Yep. It's And it's just like, <laughs> by the end of the book, it's just like, okay, so basically Walter R. Brooks just decided, okay, it's way easier if they can just talk to people. <laughs> so that's what I'm going with now. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Um, but let's keep going forward with the plot. Yes. So you have Fred and Leo, and they're captives of the Confederacy. They manage to get word to um, Boomschmidt and the Circus. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fred or Fredginald is able to be a little bit clever with one of the Wren, which I love that back and forth that they have. That's a great conversation. Um, but they're able to get the Circus to come to them. Um, they're able to have a first encounter with some of the birds coming in and taking the rooster captive, and then they hold up in the actual plantation house. They had initially been imprisoned in the barn. They hold up in the house. The circus comes parading in for the battle, and -hmm. the battle commences. And these chapters where they're getting ready for the battle and the battle commencing, um, it's a couple chapters long, and... um, there's this big, grand pronouncement of the circus coming in and, like, them playing the instruments and singing the songs as though the circus is just marching into town. At one point, like I said, they sing the song, and the song goes something like, "Red and Gold Wagons are are coming down the street with a boom-schmidt, boom-schmidt, boom-boom-boom, with shouting and music and tramp of marching feet and a boom-schmidt, boom-schmidt, boom-boom-boom. Hear the squeal of the cornets and the rattle of the snares. The fife scream shrilly and the trombone blares. And here come the lions and the tigers and the bears with a boom-schmidt, boom-schmidt, boom. I read lions, tigers, and bears. <laughs> Freddy's the egg. <laughs> <laughs> you know why? Because Wizard of Oz comes out a few years later.
1: The, the book came out in 1900, though.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: The phrase does not exist in the book, okay. I looked it up. Okay, that's what I was going to ask. Uh, yeah. Very nice. Yeah, I, I looked up Frank Baum's book, and no, the phrase doesn't exist in the book. And also, there was another thing that I was curious about later on um, that I'll bring, in, I'll bring up later. In any case, the battle goes on, and you have the rhinoceros, Jerry, charging at the house, and going right through the house and overshooting the house by, like, half a mile and having to come back. Yes. And essentially, he becomes the main event of the battle. Yes. Everybody just kind of stands still and watch him go back and forth. Eventually, the bull, who's the leader of the Confederates, comes out and says, okay, let's just stop the fighting, and how about it's me versus anybody on your side? And... David and Goliath. It's like, what? It's a
1: David and Goliath challenge.
0: Yeah, yeah. And yes, and Bloom like, uh, sure. And so, of course, they pick Jerry the rhinoceros to uh-huh. go up against this bull. The thing is, Jerry can't aim, he just goes barreling forward, and the bull's able to evade him super, super easily. Until finally, somebody has the bright idea it's uh, the mouse, it's Eustace, has the bright idea of tying a red handkerchief to the rhinoceros's horn. And Mm -hmm. then the bull can't ignore it, and they go head-on, and the bull just gets knocked the heck out. Um, And the battle's over. The Confederates are no more. And um, Boomschmidt gives this wonderful speech from the porch of the house that I want to read. Mm-hmm. In the name of the President and the Congress of the United States of America in solemn conclave assembled, I hereby declare the Confederacy <laughs> dissolved and abolished in the name of the parties aforesaid and herein before mentioned. And by virtue of the authority invested in me as director and sole owner of, Broom, of Blumschmidt's Colossal and Unparalleled Circus, do proclaim this house and properties adjoined as hereforth part and parcel of the state or nation herefore uh, designated as the United States of America, and the inhabitants thereof as citizens of the aforesaid United States of America, henceforward without let hindrance or stay whatsoever, however and whensoever constituted.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> and
1: then Great. they play the Star-Spangled Banner.
0: <laughs> and then they played the Star-Spangled Banner. Yes. Um... And so the animals help the, the former Confederacy clean up all of the house and everything and get it looking great. And the Confederacy is kind of like, well, what do we do now? And they come up with the idea of, why don't we have Boomschmidt's mother come and live here? And you guys can serve her, you can have her as your master and everything, mm-hmm. and that'll work just fine. And all the animals are like, great, that sounds awesome. We could definitely do that. And um, and the plot kind of goes on from there. Mm-hmm. The next chapter after that is what I call the montage chapter.
1: Yes, mm-hmm.
0: where it's a bunch of these random little stories of different animals that L- Fred and Leo encounter, and um, just, you know, these little blip paragraphs about them, or different little tiny adventures that they have. Um, They talk about the snake that they found that was tied up in a knot or had tied himself into a knot. And they managed to untie him, and they found out that that was actually a really cool talent that he had, that he could tie himself in a knot, but then he needed to get untied. Um, There's a little paragraph about him here that says, He became quite famous. He used to tie himself in a knot around the snake charmer's neck and was known far and wide as the live necktie. But he was always very nervous and timid, and he never got over his fear that they would forget to untie him after he had got done with his act. So that often he would burst out crying in the middle of it. And at last he decided to leave the circus. He retired and now lives in a swamp up near Buffalo. And Literally. I mean, just these little these little tiny child encyclopedia type paragraphs <laughs> about yes. these different people that they encounter. Um So that's what happens in Chapter 10. Chapter 11, Freginald is able to take a brief trip home with some of his friends and establish his name as Freginald instead of Louise. And um, Chapter 12, we get into the other big story arc. Mm -hmm. And that is the encounter with the handlebar mustache man. Mm. Dun, dun,
1: dun. And
0: (laughs) and so they um, come into a new town and set up shop. And while they're in town... Fresnel and Leo wander into a beauty parlor based on a recommendation that Leo had gotten from a rabbit in the previous chapter. Um, In the previous chapter, there was a rabbit that said to Leo, um, I know a little girl who has hair the same color as your mane, and basically tells him that it would look maybe really nice to have the girl's hair. Or makes some sort of a suggestion like that But it's on Leo's mind and Leo's like Well what if I did get my hair done like that Mm -hmm. And and So they go into this beauty parlor And Freginal gets a manicure And Leo gets a perm (laughs) And and, Yeah which by the way Freddy is the egg You know what (laughs) happens in Wizard of Oz Yes (laughs) Yes. The lion gets the emerald city And he gets his hair done up yeah, He gets his hair done in a perp. You know what's not in Frank Baum's book? The lion getting his hair done up.
2: Wow. That's
1: fantastic. Yep. That's wonderful. Yep. Now, I, I do want to say, to my credit, I did look at The Wizard of Oz, but I didn't look that close in depth to some of these details <laughs> when I was doing the historical research, so...
0: I mean, I didn't read the whole book, but I went to like the chapter when you first meet the cowardly lion to see if in the previous paragraphs, you see anything about a lions and tigers and bears type fear. I went to the paragraphs on the Emerald city. And when you get to those paragraphs, it's basically just them talking about the meetings that they have with the wizard. Um, They aren't really talking about much of what they do in the city or anything like that. They're basically there to talk to the wizard. Um, Mm -hmm. But in any case, um, while they're in this beauty parlor, this mustache man comes in and he's very he's very particular on people not wanting to know his identity. Mm-hmm. Um he, he he tries to pass off his name as Ezra Hamburger.
1: Mm-hmm. It's Ezra <laughs> Hamburger. <laughs>
0: Um, right Hamburger and Fred's just not buying it
1: His his physical appearance cause you, You've been saying handlebar mustache And I don't think it's meant to be handlebar Because his, his physical appearance Is described very particularly In this one sentence at the bottom of page okay. 144 He was a tall Sinister looking man with a long Curly black mustache So what I'm picturing yeah, is not- exactly that um, Villain From uh, Melodramas you know, the one who ties snidely the... Snidely Whiplash. Snidely Whiplash. You know, the the, the one who ties yep. the, the damsel to the train yeah. tracks. That's who yeah, you got here.
0: Yeah, I, I shouldn't say handlebar mustache. I had have, I have the image in mind of the curly mustache, yeah. and I said handlebar. That's okay. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but when I was growing up, the bikes that I rode, the handlebars curved <laughs> like that.
1: <laughs> so to a kid, it's a handlebar mustache, right?
0: Yep. Of course. But in any case, um, so, let's see, I'm trying to see. Oh, yeah. So, this guy is talking to Fredginald and he says, um, he tells him where he is, he gives him directions to where he set up shop and he says, drop in and see me if you get time after the show for a donut and a glass of milk. Mm -hmm. My place is about a quarter of a mile up Main Street and then turn left at the schoolhouse. Anybody will show you. And Reginald is a little bit weirded out by this guy and uh-huh. finds him to be, you know, a little bit suspicious. So he tails him a little bit, follows him, and um, he ends up, you know, hiding, hiding out when he gets to the guy's lair, and um, this guy is talking to a partner of his, and, well, before he's talking to the partner of his, you have this comical scene of him staring into this mirror and practicing expressions. mm mm-hmm. um, Fresnel crept as close as he dared Then lay down and watched The man tried looking proud Then he tried looking fierce And then he tried looking sarcastic Splendid, splendid, he said Nodding to himself in the glass And then he tried looking benevolent But that didn't work very well (laughs) After, After that he took his hat off And tried them all over Or tried them all over bareheaded And congratulated himself Warmly when they were good "'You're a fine-looking man, Mortimer. You can't deny it,' he said. Then he turned to the left and looked at himself, and then to the right, and after that he tried to see the back of his head. He didn't seem to realize that you can't possibly see the back of your head with only one mirror, and he tried and twisted and finally lay down and held the mirror over his head. But of course it wasn't any use, and he hurt his neck. Then he jumped up and threw the mirror down and stamped on it, gnashing his teeth.' He had a pretty bad temper, all right. It's just like, wow. Um, Yep. And then you have the conversation between him and Lucky. Um, And he says that they should be expecting a guest. And Lucky's like, well, what makes you think he'll come? I promised him donuts," said Mister Hacken- said Mister Hackenmeyer with a leer, and both men laughed. <laughs> Just like I promised him donuts. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah, yeah. What What do you want it for? He saw me getting my mustache curled. Won't do to have him spreading that around town. Make me look silly. Yeah, I guess you're right. You're certainly a card, Mr. Hackenmeyer, said Lucky. Who else would ever have thought of trapping animals with donuts? And I suppose you've trapped hundreds of them. Thousands, said Mr. (laughs) Hackenmeyer. They can't resist them. And the joke of it is, you don't even have to give them the donut. You just tell them you will. Why, I don't even have any donuts. Haven't have, haven't even seen one for years. Anyway, I hate the things myself. That's a funny thing, ain't it? And it's just like <laughs> he's explaining that he doesn't have donuts. <laughs> it's like we okay. could have guessed that, but yeah. but it
1: does serve the plot later because it it, it uh, allows him to state that you know he doesn't like donuts.
0: <laughs> indeed, indeed, it is it is actually a decent plot point. But anyway, Brett. Freginald is overhearing this conversation, but then another worker of Hackenmeyer's um, sneaks up behind him and catches him, and he gets caged up, and which Hackenmeyer is, of course, thrilled about. He leaves, and Freginald is able to sweet-talk Lucky into letting him go, and so he manages to get out of the cage and head back into town. When he gets back into town, then Leo is getting picked on for his new hairstyle, and Leo doesn't like that, of course, and so that causes issues. He gets into an argument with the leopard, and Mr. Boomschmidt has to mediate that argument, and you have this wonderful little paragraph. Leo and the leopard looked at each other doubtfully. They both opened their mouths to say something and then closed them again. They knew it wasn't any use arguing. This was the way Mr. Boomschmidt always settled quarrels. He got both sides so mixed up by pretending to be mixed up himself that they usually forgot what they were fighting about. They touched paws gingerly and walked away in different directions. And yep, yep, yep. Great, Just- great little description of Boom Schmidt.
1: Boom Schmidt is an awesome dad. Is the point? Yep. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you're a great dad. By the way, um, I haven't talked at all about Rod so far. Rod mm. is the horse that. Mm-hmm. Um, that Boomschmidt rides on, around all over the place. And Rod is always the one trying to tell Mr. Hacken... Or, not Mr. Hackenmeyer, Mr. Boomschmidt, that he really needs to lay into Leo. And really needs to, you know, give him what for. And Boomschmidt gets more and more impatient with Rod as time goes on. And eventually, toward the end of the book, he's just... Whenever Rod opens his mouth, he just says, Shut up, Rod! Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's just... Yep, Rod. Rod. Rod is the is the is the Gary from Parks and Rec equivalent for this book. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah. exactly. And, but in any case, they're getting ready for the show, and while they're just about to get their show started, they hear a parade coming down the road, and it's a parade for another circus, which is really bizarre, and. It turns out to be Mr. Hackenmeyer's circus. You get the backstory of Hackenmeyer because Freginald asks around about this Hackenmeyer character, and they they all tell him about how Hackenmeyer was really, really good friends with Boom Schmidt. They worked in the circus together. And um, Hackenmeyer was... Fond of doing these little pranks, but eventually the pranks started getting out of hand and started getting really, really terrible. And they parted ways over some of these really over the top pranks that he did, like leaving bits of cut up, um, cut up whiskers from sweepers in like his clothing, and also even like cutting down the axle of his wagon so that when they got going, that the wagon collapsed mm-hmm. or collapsed or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so. They parted ways over that, and evidently Heckenmeyer has started up his own circus and is now competing directly with Boomschmidt by traveling town by town along with him, which isn't great for his business because Heckenmeyer mistreats his animals. Mm -hmm. He beats them and whips them and everything, and so he has fierce animals, whereas Boomschmidt's animals, they just play checkers with people and do whatever they want about town and are very, very tame. Mm-hmm. And so people are more excited about Hackenmeyer's show, and he gets more popularity for them. Um, there's one description of a town that they visit, and I love this little paragraph. It was a great day for Seaver Falls, having two circuses at once. The people put on their Sunday clothes and locked up their stores and put the keys under the doormats and came up to the fairgrounds in a, or in a body. More than 15 children got lost and had to be found and restored to their parents, (laughs) and seven little boys and two grown-ups had stomach aches from too much candy and lemonade. It was a day that was talked of in Seaver Falls for months afterwards. (laughs) Just like, these are the metrics by which you tell if it's been an eventful day. Yep. Yep. But, um... Boomschmidt is getting fed up with Hackenmeyer continually following him and stealing his business, and eventually gets to the point that he says, we might have to just, you know, stop the circus for a bit and just, you know, retreat somewhere, because we can't keep doing this. And so, um, Fred, Freginal gets on the case trying to figure out more stuff about the suspicious Hackenmeyer guy. And he picks up a little bit more information. Um, he gets, you know, the backstory about Kackenmeier, and he, and he's seeing some slight inconsistencies that don't quite make sense. And then, randomly, on um, at the very end of chapter 14, while he's talking with Leo about trying to get this case solved, essentially, mm-hmm. then Leo says, Oh, wait a minute. And, sud- and said suddenly, a couple of years ago, when the show was in Centerboro, there was a pig. Gosh, what was his name? He was one of those animals that went to Florida a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Lives on a farm owned by a man named Bean. Well, anyway, this pig's a detective. And he came over here and gave us animals a lecture on how detectives work. Boy, he was a wonder. He could just look at you and tell your whole past history. Now, if we could get him to help us. Mm-hmm. And... This is where, finally, we're joined up with Freddy.
2: Yes. Yeah, which uh, it will be until the year 2021 and the release of the first two episodes of WandaVision that we have a fictional <laughs> universe in which you can take most of a work of fiction to let the audience figure out how it dovetails into the series it's supposedly a part of because we're on page easily what 180? 182 182 out of 250 uh-huh um before we figure out how this story operates in the freddy verse
1: right it almost feels more like a crossover than uh part of the freddy series you know yeah <laughs>
0: yeah yes indeed it does Exactly.
1: Uh, it's wonderful.
0: So Fresno goes off to the Beans Farm and is looking for Freddy. He encounters Charles, the rooster, who gives him a little bit of a hard time because that's what Charles does. Yes. And as soon as he brings up um, the detective, then Charles says, Oh, you mean Freddy? And he says, Um,. And he says, "If you want Freddie, you must be all right." As criminals, don't go around looking for detectives. <laughs> so, it's like,
2: which violates well, the premise of every Sherlock Holmes story, but we'll allow it. It's
0: true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but in any case, so Charles brings him over to meet Fred, and Fred reads off a poem for um, reads off a poem for Freginald because. Um, of course, it was communicated that is a poet, and so he gets an opinion from him on one of his poems. And Fred, Freddy tries to tell Freginald that he's really retired and that he really doesn't do that anymore. But Freginald insists and says this is a favor for Boomschmidt, and it's a very intriguing case. And so he manages to twist Freddy's arm and get him on board. Um, as we go on into Chapter 16... Um, you have Freddie on the case and Freddie is investigating all over the place and he sends a message to Fred and Old at a certain point. And this message is written on his typewriter that's a little bit old. And so <laughs> some of the letters don't type correctly and he substitutes other letters. And I love that he prints out this entire message that has all of the replaced letters uh-huh. on it. If I'm reading through then it says let's see hold on he puts w for i m for n and j for y which you think that replacing just three letters wouldn't make it that much of a garbled <laughs> mess and it's it's decently garbled I actually <laughs> spent a little bit of time looking at it trying to make sure that I got every single word correct and then and then in the very next paragraph as You have Freginal trying to decipher the note. You have the rabbit who delivered it say, Excuse me, sir, Freddy said if you couldn't read it, I was to tell you that he had something to tell you and would come and see you this afternoon if it was all right. (laughs) It's
2: just like... (laughs) Just make it (laughs) easy for
0: the the redundancy. (laughs) Um, But in any case, Freddy shows up in a disguise telling him that he's got more information. And they try to hatch this scheme in order to um, in order to get Hackenmeyer found out and in order to um, to to get him or to in order to outsmart him in his scheme. And they go around to different farmers and different um, people that are looking for work and ask if they need help. Freddie's idea is why don't we get all of the animals to go on strike, all of Hackenmeyer's animals that hate Hackenmeyer to go on strike. And that way he loses all of his circus animals and everything. And then he has to come out because Hackenmeyer has been avoiding any sort of confrontation with Boom Schmidt. And he's been mm-hmm. saying, I refuse to see Boom Schmidt and I'm not going to see him. And so they're trying to force him out. And so they, they promise labor to the local farmer, or to a local farmer, as well as to another guy that's building... What is he building? A mill? Mm -hmm. Yes. I think so. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. this local guy who's building a mill. And he promises them plenty of labor, and um, the plan is enacted one night that they release all of the animals from Hackenmeyer's Circus, and they all go on strike and go to work for other people. Um, When... Hackenmeyer finds this out Of course he calls up the sheriff And says that all of his animals have been stolen And the sheriff goes out to try to retrieve the animals And he doesn't want He avoids concentration Or Not concentration He he avoids confrontation as much as he can that In this one chapter then The sheriff really shows How inept he is <laughs> and Some of the things he says are really funny um, It says I don't know anything about that, says Mr. McGinnis, the guy that has the animals Mm -hmm. um, working for him. He says, I was approached yesterday yesterday by an independent contractor who said he could supply me with labor. He brought these animals here, and now they're working for me. And if you take them off the job, I'll have to sue you for restraint of trade or something. I don't want to get involved in a lawsuit said the sheriff looking worried that's why I took this job as sheriff I figured whatever happened they never could make me arrest or they could never make me arrest myself but let's get to the bottom of this and so it's like okay and then later on he has another thing which is Um, like
2: the second thing in this book that made me think that this was written in this century and not the last century
0: um, and and later on, eventually, they get to the bottom of this that the animals are going to figure this out for themselves, and also, and also they well, that the animals are going to figure this out for themselves, and also it has come to life that, or come to light, that Hackenmeyer is, in fact, Mendoza. Mm-hmm. And they have gathered enough evidence to say that Mendoza, who was also in the circus with Hackenmeyer and Boom Schmidt, has, um, has hidden Hackenmeyer away somewhere and has been masquerading as Hackenmeyer with his circus. And um, and they apparently do have good proof for this and everything, but we haven't seen it fully revealed yet. Um, at the end of the chapter, then the sheriff has another great line um Eventually the animals basically just say We're going to figure this out And we're going to go and confront Hackenmeyer right now And the sheriff says To tell you the truth Said the sheriff scratching his head I wouldn't know what to do. This is sort of complicated, a uh, sort of a complicated case, and I ain't used to dealing with such, and that's a fact. We mostly get pretty simple crimes, like murder and pig stealing. No, <laughs> you go along and settle it your own way. Besides, Cedarboro is playing East Wadham's up op- at the ball ground today, and they can't start unless the sheriff throws out the first ball. You wouldn't want to spoil the game.
2: <laughs> you can't
0: spoil the ball game, boss, said Rod. It's un-American.
2: <laughs> it's stuck.
0: <laughs> it's great mm-hmm. <laughs> but in any case, the animals and Boomschmidt go to confront Hackenmeyer, and in the midst of the chaos of taking out Hackenmeyer's goonies and um, and um, running it and having Jerry burst through one of the train or one of the carts that they have and revealing a man that looks exactly like Hackenmeyer, you now have two Hackenmeyers mm-hmm. that are here. Mm-hmm. And so, and they both insist that they are Hackenmeyer. And so now it's a, cl- and now it's a classic case of well, who's who. Yep. And so, they come up with this scheme where they sit them both down to a meal, with Boom Schmidt. And um, Boom Schmidt sits in the meal, and all the animals are like, "Well, we got to figure this out. What are we doing?" And Boom Schmidt, who's had the scheme told to him by. Um, Freddie and Freginald is, isn't worried about it he just starts having conversation everybody was curious to know what had or what had been going on but mr. boomschmidt would talk about nothing but the weather when he wished to exert himself or he was a very fine conversationalist and so presently everybody got interested in what he was saying and the two strangers were all. Or were almost forgotten in a brisk discussion of the difference between weather and climate, upon which Mister. Boomschmidt had very profound views. And so, Boomschmidt just gets the two Hackenmeyers very enthralling conversation. And at one point in passing, they bring up a plate of donuts, and Mister. Boomschmidt just very casually says, "Hey, you want a donut?" And one of the Hackenmeyers takes the donut, delightful or very pl- pleasingly, and you know eats the donut. The other one's like, "No, thank you." And then a split second later, it's like, um, uh, I mean, yes, I do want the donut, (laughs) and kind of forces a donut down. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the key characteristics that Fred, that Fred had found out about Hackenmeyer was that Hackenmeyer loves donuts, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: thus where we have that other piece of information connecting through. And to top it all off, Mademoiselle Rose, at one point, randomly calls out, oh, Mortimer, and the... Hackenmeyer, that is the imposter, is like, yes, and (laughs) so then they have for sure that this is the imposter. He tries to escape, but they manage to capture him by, um, he starts swimming away and then accidentally gets turned around and they capture him in the end. Chapter 19, the last chapter of the book, is very much like that middle chapter of montage stuff Mm -hmm. where you get, you know, a bunch of random little storylines. In one story, you find out that Freddy and Freginald's relationship was in a bit of turmoil at one point when Freginald wrote a poem about pigs. (laughs) Well, well, not about pigs, but more specifically about, um, uh, who was the character? Um, Wilfred, Mm -hmm. um, about Wilfred, um, a leopard that liked to eat ham. Mm-hmm. and he wrote this poem about Wilfred who liked to eat ham, and Freddie just simply said, I don't like this poem at all. <laughs> <You> and, <know. laughs> and, well, and, and they it's, have it's a what bit of an yeah. argument about the ham business, and then um, Fresnel just merely cleans it up by saying, I'll just kind of put this disclaimer at the back end of the poem <laughs> saying that I don't approve of this. Right? Uh-huh, and uh-huh. he's like, okay, that's fine. Um... <laughs> We also have um, the de- we also have the one final development that um, Fred Fredginal's family is being ousted from their home, mm-hmm. and so they go down and try to reason with the farmer who is selling the land that the bears live on, and they can't get the land from him. They can't buy it from him or anything, and so the bears decide, or so they decide that Fredenall's family can simply travel with them. Um, in the circus. Well, the grandfather at least. What did they decide on with the parents? Or did the parents travel with them too? Virginia. Oh, that's right.
1: They moved to Virginia.
0: Yeah. They moved to Virginia. Okay. Yeah. So, so the bear parents moved to Virginia. The mom and dad moved to Virginia. But the grandfather travels around Mm -hmm. with, um, with Reginald, with the circus. Um, the the grandfather actually has quite a few good quotes here at first the bears don't think it's a good idea for them to leave their home or for grandfather to travel around with the circus or anything like that and the grandfather bear says pa how do you know what i or how do you know i won't like it how do you know what i like anyway i've been sick of these woods for 50 years but there wasn't any way to get away from them so i made the best of it I've got a reputation for being wise because I don't say much and because I'm cranky all the time. I'm not wise. I'm just bored. <laughs> 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 and, and then, and then later on, there's a quotation that says, "For fifty years, he had done little talking and consequently had done more thinking than most people ever get around to." So he had plenty to say, and that was, or plenty to say that was worth listening to. And now he was traveling and was willing to talk. And so it was kind of this, you know cool thing for his character Mm -hmm. and kind of a little bit of a fulfillment from where you started at the beginning yes um but that's kind of the book um yeah anything you guys want to draw upon from like the plot in general with this
2: yes I want to talk more about confederates (laughs) okay uh I have a couple things I would like to just mention and I'll try to be be brief um Number one, uh, is that there was a Ku Klux Klan murder that was in, like, a lot of the, uh, uh, newspapers nationwide in May of 1936. Oh. Um, and, or, uh, and there were some, some activities like, Some murders that had happened that were, like, loose... Like, you couldn't prove it, but it seemed like they were probably connected to the KKK in 1935. Um, So to write a book that was, like, anti-Confederate and taking Confederates as the bad guys was not a proposition without risk in um, the United States in 1936. Um, And not only that, like, if you think chronologically... 1936 is a lot closer to 1865 and the surrender of the confederacy than mm-hmm. we are now in 2021 um mm-hmm. so you know we've we've emphasized a lot and we even talked in uh, the last episode about like some of the ways that Walter R Brooks was really taking on contemporary issues in what again is a kid's novel right. um mmm <gasps> And, but, but just to say that like, this would be roughly like I I I struggle because in some ways because the historical moment is like so similar to our own I struggle to um, come up with comparisons. But like this would be roughly like if you were in Nazi Germany in or not Nazi Germany but say Germany in like 1928 like just before the the Nazis were the only power, like making fun of, you know, Nazis or something. Like mm-hmm. it's it's really not without risk. Uh, yeah. and I mean, you know, maybe this kid's novel was too wasn't quite mainstream enough or, or popular enough to be really like influential, but like it's an interesting thing that that Walter R. Brooks is doing here. Um mm-hmm. even as far as like Taking on at least symbols and synecdoches of like uh, some some really threatening you know uh, streams of history and and culture in his own time. Um, mm-hmm. The other thing I want to talk about, and this is specifically in the sort of uh, Battle, the war with the Confederates between the the not Confederate animals and the Confederate animals um, has to do, and I had marked this page, and now I'm not finding where I marked it. Um, some of the descriptions of the battle between battle between the sort of two uh, two sides of animals to me echo Herodotus. Oh, which is wild um, and I don't think I can like prove like okay to say I don't think I can is maybe dishonest I haven't done the legwork to prove this sort of super thoroughly um, but uh, I want to so page 99 in like I assume most of the like all our copies have roughly the same pagination I've been
0: using an e-book, and my e-book doesn't have pages, but okay. I know the general area.
2: Uh, we're in, chapter eight. like, the middle of chapter eight. Yep. Um, the elephants headed straight for the house, and now the rest of the circus came into sight. As they followed through the breach in the wall, they spread out. To the left of the elephants was Jerry the rhinoceros, then a small company of lions, tigers, and leopards, then a detachment of cavalry under Mr. Blodgett. To the right were two alligators, then Oscar the ostrich, then the buffalo, Uncle Bill, and the rest of the men armed with poles. Behind the elephants marched the band. Um, And, okay, and then skip down to page 100 then, uh, the only full paragraph on that page. Uh, you get, The elephants wheeled to the left to protect the broken line, but Mr. Boomschmidt waved to the rhinoceros. Break in the front door, he shouted. Jerry backed off to the edge of the woods to get a good start, pawed the ground twice, then drove like a black battering ram straight at the house. Both sides stopped fighting a moment to watch. Uh, so it, it may be a little bit of a reach to say Herodotus. Like, there's a long history of... You know, mili- descriptions of battles uh, between Herodotus and Walter R. Brooks, but like a lot of a lot of those descriptions sort of come from Herodotus. Like, if you if you read you know memoirs of of Civil War generals or whatever that like are describing the battlefield, like a lot of it is like, oh yes, you probably read Herodotus in in uh, school in one way or the other. Um, but I guess the larger point is just like. Walter o. Brooks unstintingly makes this description redolent of like like actual battlefield, you know mm. uh, descriptions of battles, I guess, battlefield, not necessarily ey- eyewitness accounts, but historical accounts. Um, and even that that like switch between like, oh, the they wheel to protect the left flank and then that zooming in on like something specific mm. happening on the battlefield is, like, very Herodotus. Like, he, he had this this way of, like, zooming between, like, really big-picture history or big-picture battle descriptions and then, like, zooming in on the really dramatic, you know, parts of the, of the battle or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so, again, I, I say Herodotus as, like, a placeholder or a thumbnail version of, like, what influences Walter R. Brooks may or may not have had. But I just adore the fact that like this this description of what is unapologetically a battle yeah. is, you know, described in terms that like the readers of this book would recognize from the you know, the classroom probably.
1: Right. Well I've, you know, probably the readers at this time would have, like you say, read Herodotus in oh, school. Yeah, even you in know? even in so, grade school Probably, it's, at least
2: selections from Herodotus.
1: It's keying directly at the audience, then. Yeah. yeah. Like, this is something they would appreciate.
2: Yeah, like, this is a shared vocabulary, almost, but he's using that shared, like, vocabulary of, like, classical works or the education mm-hmm. of the time to, like, make this joke or make this, uh, yeah. this bizarre imagined story about animals fighting a war with each other.
0: Mm-hmm. The... The other thing that I love about his description of the battle, too, is while it has this epic Herodotus feel, at the same time when I was reading it, I had really mixed feelings about like, if that's what he's going for, or if we're supposed to be regarding this as like two gangs of boys that are having a battle in the (laughs) playground, (gasps) And, and just, I mean, the... The language that he used in everything, and just sometimes it was a little bit more jokingly and jovial, and then other times it's like, and Boomschmidt held a council of
2: war. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> what? Well, yes. like, I don't know if you guys have read, like, Victorian era or, like, bo- boys' books from this era, like, novels aimed at, you know, school age kids, whether, like, what we'd call now middle school or high school kids, but it's like, at least in the... Because I have. I'm a big nerd, and I have read, like, you know... <laughs> You're a big nerd? What? At, yeah, I know It's I know this will come as a shock to all of... Both of you and any listeners who've made it this far in the series, but... Um, yeah, so, like, I've read actual, you know, Victorian, like, boys' adventure books and, and boys' like, school... Like, boarding school books and stuff, and, like, that's what they all also would do. Like, especially... Yeah, you know, I mean... We could go into the whole history of imperialism here, but we won't. But, like, <laughs> you know, Victorian boys' school looks like, they're marching in, like, military rank and file in their, like, playground battles that they did with each other. Mm-hmm. And, you know, America in the 1930s is a very different setting from, like, England in the 1880s, but, like... Right, the then they're throwing of- mustard
1: gas at each other. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: Listen, I was trying to take
0: this not as dark as oh, I could go. Oh, Sorry.
2: Uh, but yeah, again, you know, but like that set of cultural reference is like much closer to each other. Like a school kid, especially like on the East coast, you know, even in upper up, upstate New York in the 1930s, their cultural reference are much closer to like Victorian England in the 1880s, for example, than like they are to us today and yeah, not just time wise, but culturally. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So in that sense, I guess it's not terrifically surprising that Brooks uses this vocabulary, but it's like, Mm -hmm. on the other hand, it produces, to an audience today, it produces this effect of like, (laughs) oh, Walter Brooks went Herodotus in his kids' book. (laughs) (laughs) Yep.
1: (laughs) Which is awesome!
2: Yeah, and I I love it. I love it as well. (sighs) And I think that's all I had to say about that. Great. Oh, no.
0: Oh, no. Well, did we want to head into one-liners? I mean, I I tried to sprinkle a couple of mine throughout the plot and everything. There yeah. were a couple that did fall through the cracks that I would like to go through. Please but, do, yeah. Okay, so first one. Now elephants aren't afraid of tigers, but they are afraid of mice. <laughs> If you ask an elephant why, he will giggle and say that the mouse might run up his trunk and tickle him and make him sneeze. (laughs) Of course, no mouse would have the nerve to do any such thing, but the elephants aren't taking any chances. Uh. (laughs) Oh, oh, I dropped the last sentence, which was on the next page. Merely to think of it will make many elephants sneeze for half an hour. (laughs) Just just as a little Uh. capper. Um, the next one I have is from Bill. Bill is a clown. Mm. And over the years, um, Bill has become a very gloomy character and wears a bit of a frown. And one day Freginald asks Bill what, or why he's so gloomy. And Bill says, well, I'll tell you. When I was a young feller, I used to be as happy as a Dutchman all day long. But there ain't nobody can be a clown and stay happy. Why not, says you? Well, I'll tell you why not. Because there ain't anybody can tell the same jokes over twice a day, week after week, year after year, and not get pretty sour. When you tell a joke once, it's funny. And when you tell it the 270th time, it's it makes you cry. I don't know why that is, but it's so Why, what do you suppose is the reason for clowns painting their faces and wearing false noses? To be funny, says you. Nah, it's so the audience can't see how mournful they look. (laughs) (laughs) So, the next one I have. Fresnold and Leo are captured by the Confederacy, and they can't do anything, so they figure, why don't we just annoy them while we're here? And... Um, they decide, we're going to sing. And um, so they decide that they're going to sing uh, Marching Through Georgia. And mm. then we have this paragraph. Now, some singing is very pretty, but Leo's voice was more suited to calling to friends a long distance away to making melody. And <laughs> Freginald, like most bears, had no voice at all. So it is probable that the howls of anger that came from the robbers were due as much to the noise they made as their choice of song. It was really, (laughs) it was really pretty bad. And although he was pleased to be able to annoy the robbers, Freginald refused to go on after they had finished the first verse. Yes. Let's see.
1: I've got one from uh, early on in the book. It's uh, in chapter Mm -hmm. three. Um, and it's it's kind of early in the relationship Of uh, Fred Genold and Mr. Br- Boomschmidt uh, And you get this backstory um, About how Boomschmidt would send money to his mother Oh, yes, I love this one. Uh, I love this one, too. Uh, it's on page 40 here, and it's only, there was one bad thing about sending money to old Mrs. Boomschmidt. She was very generous, and when she did get a little extra money, instead of spending it on herself, she would go out and get some yarn and knit her son a fancy vest. She was indeed a beautiful fancy vest knitter, but Mr. Boomschmidt already had 27 fancy vests that she had knitted for him, put away in mothballs. And then, too, the old lady was like a good many mothers who can't seem to realize that their children are growing up. So she knitted all the vests for Mr. Boomschmidt the same size as she had when he was 15. And Mr. Boomschmidt couldn't possibly get into any of them. One day he spoke to Freginald about it, and they, they go through this. Uh, he's "'What What can you do? You're a smart bear. Think of something.' Well, "'Couldn't you tell her you've got enough vests?' Said, asked Fredginald. "'Gracious, no,' said Mr. Boomschmidt. "'Wouldn't do at all. She might start knitting me suits.' "'Well, couldn't you send the next one back "'and tell her it was too tight under the arms? "'Then she'd have to unravel it and knit it all over again. "'And then you could send it back again and say it was too loose. "'You could keep on doing that.' "'Seems sort of mean to have her do all that work,' said Mr. Boomschmidt. "'She's going to do it anyway, sir,' said Freginald, "'and she couldn't spend the money for more yarn for a new one "'until she got it right.' Why my goodness! Why upon my word! Exclaimed Mister Boomschmidt, pushing his hat back. I believe you've got it. Yes, sir. I'll go right to her right away. Too tight under the arms, hey? And he hurried off.
0: <laughs> there, there are a lot of moments like that throughout the book yes. where Boomschmidt seems to be a simpleton. He's like Steve from Blue's Clues, where yes. it's like, do you see a clue? And. <laughs> like, and <laughs> i i think i have maybe like two left two or three i mean i've got a couple more but i'm like we don't have to um sure because as as with all of these books it's like there there's like there's so many yeah um there, there are a lot so this is this is talking of freddie or not freddie of freginald he didn't like pigs as a rule they were frivolous, always making fun of people, and apt to being rather touchy and sarcastic if you didn't praise them enough. And so, just mm-hmm. you know, a nice little characterization of pigs. Um, this, yes. let's see. Well,
1: and like Freddie lives up to that. Like you'd expect a, a but Freddie was different. And like, no, Freddie's Freddie's that. That's Freddie. <laughs>
2: Yeah, this is it, it's always very realistic about who Freddy is as a character.
0: So, when they go around looking for places for the animals in Hackenmeyer Circus to work, um, then they go to the place where the mill is being made, and they don't see the foreman first. They see um, a guy that works for the foreman, a, a fat man, and he's sitting behind this desk, and they're asking where the foreman is or what he looks like, and the guy says... Here this is what he looks like. The paper was scribbled all over with pictures of a thin man and a fat man. In one of the fat in one the fat man was punching the thin man in the nose. In another the fat man was jumping on the thin man. In a third he was hitting him with a club. He's the thin one, said the man. He ought to be easy to find, said Freginald. Is somebody always hitting him? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's this wonderful scene of, you know, this guy that shouldn't be making these pictures, but he's drawing these pictures like, you know, a child. Mm-hmm. And...
2: That's what they say about me when they're trying to identify me for a crime. He's the thin one. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Um, I'll read off one more. and there, are, there have been a number of quotes in this one that have not been necessarily funny one-liners but kind of you know these sort of cool insightful one-liners mm-hmm. it's talking about Madame Delphine the fortune teller Madame Delphine used very beautiful and high-flown language when she was telling fortunes but when she sat and rocked she used just ordinary language like anybody else and Louise at, um, back at the beginning noticed that when she used ordinary language she said much more interesting things mm-hmm. He tried it with his poems and he found that the simpler they were, the better people liked them. He was rather smart to notice this for lots really or for lots of really important people never find it out at all. hmm. It's great. So good. So good. Mm-hmm. Uh well, gentlemen. I'm I'm not sure, but this might be our longest podcast so far.
1: You might be right. There's a lot to say about yeah. this book. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. The well, the Civil War was a really long war, and so yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good so, 70 yeah if, years. if you
1: ever come up with a history test asking when the Civil War ended or when the Confederacy was dissolved, 1936. <laughs> yes, the speech of Mister. Boomschmidt. Mm That dissolved the Confederacy officially. Mm -hmm. The Battle
0: of Boomschmidt. The battle. (laughs) (laughs) Um. All right. Well, in any case, um, listeners, we hope that you've enjoyed this episode. And until next time, stay healthy, (laughs) and be smart. Make wise choices. Don't do drugs. All right. (laughs) Goodbye, everybody.